Amen. Amen. Ville Church, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this afternoon as we remember the birth of Jesus, many of us are actually very afraid in, in many different ways. We are afraid of variants canceled plans, our own government, our kids' future, our health, our loved ones' health, our economy, other people. And then there's the ever-growing list of things that our culture demands us to be afraid of. Yet your word says, fear not, hundreds of times. It's as if you know something that our hearts so easily forget. And so I ask, would you replace the fear in our hearts with unshakable trust in you? Would you turn the anxiety crippling our hearts into patience? Would you transform our growing cynicism somehow into true spiritual joy? We have been given Jesus and the gospel and the spirit and a multi-millennial track record of kept promises, chief of which we celebrate tonight, the incarnation of Jesus. So in light of all this, this Christmas, would you allow each of us to cast our fear and to trust, trust in you and that we would have an utter soul confidence in your heart and in your goodness. And as you do this, we will give you all the glory because without you, it is impossible. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Ville Church. Amen. You may be seated. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here. I have the joy this morning, no, this afternoon, to open up God's Word with you. If you have a Bible, would you open it to the book of Revelation chapter 12? And Revelation 12 is probably one of the most unusual and untaught Christmas passages of Scripture. My guess is the vast majority of you have never heard a Christmas Eve sermon on Revelation 12. We'll have some fun tonight. But as you're turning there, I want to show you some pictures. And what I want to do is I want to bring you behind the scenes of a fueling holiday picture session. So... On the surface, here's one picture. Everything looks great. Here are my three children. They are happy. They are smiling. But do you know how much work it took to get them to this place? Let me, let me show you what was happening about one minute prior to this event. This is what was actually going on. And I remember what I said because there was a woman behind me that I didn't know was there. I'd never met her before. I just got done preaching some Christmas Eve services. And I look at my children and I say, kids, seriously, be a normal human being for like five seconds. And I turn around and there she is. And I'm like, oh, hey, good to meet you in the Pastor Village Church. Just heard me preach God's word. Here I am yelling at my children as if I have no self-control whatsoever. Uh, here's another one. Uh, this is one of my favorites, and it's like, oh, they have their dog. Have you ever, ever tried taking a picture with three little kids and a dog? 
about a minute prior, it was just the family. And one of my kids says, we need to have the dog in the picture. And I said, we're not having the dog in the picture. Another kid chimes in and says, but he's a part of the family. And I said, whatever, fine, go get the dog. So one of them gets the dog. The other says, I want to hold the dog. I say, you're, you're too small to hold the dog. What do you mean I'm too small to hold the dog? And I'm like, for the love of God, like everybody just freeze, take the picture. And of course, I think this one was like taken, like the countdown, like 10 seconds on your phone. Everything's got to be just right. And we had this perfect moment right before this was just a little bit of chaos and frustration. Uh, Easter Sunday, it's one of our favorites and we love to get family pictures. You'll notice we're missing a human being in my family. Um, What's happening is he is actually over on that side of the picture rolling around on the floor. And so I said, X, come get in the picture. He says, no. I say something to the effect of, fine. Then for generations, people will look at this fueling family picture and wonder, where's X? And I'll say, I don't know. He shouts, no, and then he gets up and he runs over and then here's what we get from him. That's how, it was so so great. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna take that any day. But it's so funny when you get to these pictures, you're like, why don't we post the behind the scenes stuff? So one of these, this is one of my favorite pictures of my children. And here's what's happening prior to this. X, look at the camera, X, look at the camera, X, look at the camera, look at the camera, look at the camera, look at the camera, good. Nope, look back at the camera, look at the camera, look at the camera. Via, real smile. Elliot, you're squeezing your siblings too hard. Can everybody just relax just for a moment, right? And then this is what we got, and it's adorable, but behind the scenes is just a whole bunch of exhausted, tired, very hungry, at the end of their shooting session, children who are just like, for the love of God, can we go eat? Can any parents just like sympathize with this, right? Have any of you yelled at your children in the middle of taking pictures? Challenge for you this Christmas Eve, put, put the before pictures online for everybody. And Christmas, honestly, for me, it's a lot like these family pictures. We have a set of narratives and stories that we like to tell, and they are true, and they are good, and they are beautiful, and they are real. But there is actually something going on behind the scenes of the Christmas story that most people aren't very familiar with. So if you have been with us in the fall, we did a series on the spiritual realm and spiritual war. And what we did is we pulled back the curtain. We looked behind the scenes of what was actually happening in the world. And then we did a series on heaven and hell. And we pulled back the curtain of the afterlife. And we looked at what scripture taught about what happens when you die, what heaven and the new earth and hell were actually like. So Revelation 12, here's what it does for us. It pulls back the curtain. And it shows us behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, the cosmic battle that was actually having, happening and leading up to the birth of Jesus. And so Revelation 12, uh, there are two visions that we're going to focus on. And there are two characters. One vision applies to each character. And what you're going to find is you're going to find a woman. You're going to find a dragon. And the woman and the dragon are in a cosmic battle with each other. Now, if you look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, here's what happens. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, I know all of you want to know what that means. For the time being, we're going to skip the metaphors, and here is what the woman refers to in the book of Revelation. The woman refers first to the nation of Israel. But 
it's very common for metaphors to have double meanings. And what you're going to find is that by verse five and six, you're going to find that the woman then refers to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Verse two, John says she was pregnant and she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, if you're reading this for the first time and you know the Jewish scriptures, your brain is going to be brought right back to Genesis 3. Genesis 1 and 2, creation, Adam and Eve, the whole world. Genesis 3, they sin and God curses the man, the woman, and the serpent. And to the woman, by the way, ladies, you all know the curse, your childbirth is going to be really, really painful. And so right now, immediately, you're being brought back to Genesis 3, and that is the intention of John as he writes this. And here's what we know. We know, verse 3, that something shifts. There's another vision, our second character. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. And in the Old Testament, the dragon is the serpent. The serpent is the dragon. And your brain is supposed to be brought back to Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent is cursed. And here's what we're aware of. There is a cosmic battle that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 between the woman, her offspring, and the dragon, who is Satan. Now, in verse 4, John pulls back the curtain on Christmas and tells us, here's what's actually going on. The dragon stood before the woman who is about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Hey, Merry Christmas. We're all going to go home right now, and it feels like a good time to end the message. Here's what Revelation 12, 4 is telling you behind the scenes of the birth narratives of Jesus, that for millennia, the evil one has had a posture toward the nation of Israel, seeking to hunt down the fulfillment of the promise of the one who would crush him. Let's, let's go back. Let's look at Genesis 3 and this curse because it's really important. And here's what God says to Satan. I will put enmity or hostility or volatility between your offspring, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. She shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the origin story of the cosmic conflict between the evil one and the people of Israel. Because the evil one knew that through the people of Israel, the Messiah, the promised one, who would end him once and for all was going to come. And he is hunting down from generation to generation, listening to the prophecies and trying to figure out who where, when is all of this going to happen? Now you go back to the garden, right? Adam and Eve, they have two boys first. Their names are Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain is the bad kid, Abel's the good kid. And so naturally, God promised that one of the offspring of Adam and Eve is going to ruin him. And so Satan naturally looks at Abel and says, he's the good one, it's gotta be him. Puts evil and hatred in the heart of Cain and Cain ends up killing Abel. But here's the problem. Abel wasn't the promised one. You start reading through the Old Testament and then prophecies are given to Abraham. And actually these prophecies talk about 400 years in the future, the people of Israel will go into Egypt and then there will be some kind of deliverer that will bring them out. So the evil one is watching and counting the days. And so right before the 400 years are up, he puts it into the heart of Pharaoh to kill all of the male Jewish children of a certain age because he thinks that maybe this is going to be the generation, but the evil one was wrong. It wasn't Moses, nor anybody from his generation. As great of a deliverer as Moses was, he was not the promised Messiah. As you progress through Jewish history, 
there was one religion that was designed by Satan himself to trap the Israelites specifically. And it was a religion of a group of people in an area called Canaan. And the reason that Satan would develop this religion is because he knew exactly that this would be the promised land and this would be where the Israelites go. And they had a really dark practice called infanticide. And the Israelites for hundreds of years were drawn to this to the point where even one of their, many of their kings would practice this and support it. Even Solomon in the lineage of the Messiah by the end of his life is practicing these vile and evil religious practices. Then we get to the time the Messiah is born. There are signs everywhere. There are stars that are doing weird things. There are dreams. There are angels visiting people. And the serpent of old knows the time is close, but he doesn't know where. He doesn't know when. He doesn't know who. And have you ever wondered why God went out of his way to keep Mary incognito? You have this young 13 to 15 or 16-year-old girl from a nowhere town who is leaving, nobody knows really where they're going to be at. And then you find them in some random, we'll say, hotel in the back room of an inn where there were animals. And what you find is that the Lord is actually going out of his way to keep the evil one from anywhere near this woman because he is waiting, as Revelation 12 says, to devour the child before the, the child can devour him. And then we get the wise men. And the wise men are some of my favorite characters in the, all of the birth narratives. They travel from 900 miles away from the east. They follow the star. And what most people think is that the star takes them directly to the baby. It doesn't. The star takes them to the doorstep of Herod, King Herod. I imagine they knock on the door and they're like, hey, king of the Jews, is he born here? And Herod's like, I'm sorry, king of the who? King of the what? What's happening? Come in here. Let's talk about this. There's a star, and then he calls in the Jewish religious leaders and says, where's the king of the Jews going to be born? And, and there's an obscure prophecy about Bethlehem of Judea. And so the wise men go on their way. And what we find here is that this seems to be, for the first time in millennia, that the evil one now knows the who, ish, the where, the when, and he sets his eyes towards Bethlehem. I want you to listen to Revelation 12.5. It says this, and now you realize it started off the woman was Israel, and now specifically it's talking about Mary. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And if you're, uh, if you're Mary, on the surface, you're away in a manger, it's a silent night, it's all peaceful and calm. Guys, is that how babies are born? <laughs> you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to make sure you fulfill the requirements of a legal census. You're nine months pregnant. You're traveling. Everything about this is frustrating. But behind the scenes, the Lord is protecting this young woman and this baby. Because for millennia, the dragon had been waiting and looking to devour him. Before Jesus, the Messiah, could crush his head. Verse six, it says this, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. It's striking because this is making direct reference to what happened with the wise men right after they left. Matthew two says this, when the wise men departed from Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, behold, an angel of the Lord 
appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. I mean, just imagine being this young mother, being away from home, away from everybody that you know and love, giving birth to a baby. Shepherds show up. Inevitably, wise men show up. And finally, in a dream, God says, you have to get up. You have to leave now because they're coming for your child. And you have to go to a nation where you don't speak the language and you are banking on their hospitality and love to take care of you. And here's what we see. Everything surrounding the birth in the spiritual realm is crazy. And the Lord is going out of his way to protect this child. Um, I want to share with you two so what's from Revelation 12. So we, we have the privilege, unlike Mary in the moment, we have the privilege to hear the whole story. But in the, in the middle of all of this, there is so much drama, tension, and anxiety, and fear. And thankfully, Revelation doesn't leave you in that drama. It tells you the conclusion. And here's the first so what. The child was born to rule the world and crush the devil. Look at verse five. It says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. In other words, when this kid grows up, you don't mess with him. Now, this actually is bringing your brain back to one of the most beloved Christmas scriptures, Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read this for you. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And most people zone out after that part. Here's what it says next. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. In other words, this baby is going to grow up to be a man. And this man is going to rule the entire world in justice and righteousness forever and ever. It says in verse 7, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Anybody, would you rather have this government or our current global stuff? (laughs) Give me Jesus any day. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And here's here's how it ends. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the passion, the fire inside of him to keep his word and his love for humanity, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Uh, What we learn in scripture is that in order for this everlasting kingdom to come to fruition, four things need to happen. And three of the four have already happened. Number one, the child, the Messiah, must, number one, conquer sin. Check. Number two, the child must grow up and conquer Satan. Check. Number three, the child must grow up and conquer death. Resurrection, Good Friday, Easter. Check, check, check. And there is a fourth thing that has to happen before Jesus can actually rule in righteousness and peace over the entire globe forever and ever. And the last thing to happen is the judgment or the final judgment. And this happens with the second coming of Jesus. And as believers, we await eagerly for this. 
Christmas is wonderful, and we love singing about the manger and the birth, but the birth means nothing if it does not culminate in a death and resurrection. And the death and resurrection mean nothing if they do not culminate at the end of time with justice and righteousness reigning and ruling over the entire world. Here's the second so what. All are now welcome to worship Jesus. If you were with us in church on Sunday, we talked about, as you read through the Gospels, every single kind of person is welcomed to come to Jesus and worship him. And we start off with these shepherds. The shepherds were, by law, not allowed to go to temple and worship God. And yet Jesus invited them to his feet to worship him. You have these wise men from a different religion, from a different land who under Old Testament law should have been stoned to death. And they are offered forgiveness and the opportunity to come before the Messiah and to worship. You have social outcasts like Mary and Joseph who were shunned publicly and they are welcomed to the feet of Jesus to worship and have their sins forgiven. You have immoral women, immoral men. You have the rich, the poor, swindlers, the sick, you name it. Every kind of category of sinner finds themselves welcome at the feet of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and for salvation. Everybody. But the window to come to Jesus, it has an expiration date. And one of two events are going to make it impossible for you to come any longer to Christ. And the first event is going to be your death. And the Bible says that it's appointed that man would die once and then face judgment. It is explicitly clear that while you're alive, this is your opportunity to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. The other event that will happen that would make it impossible for you to trust in Christ after it is the second coming of Jesus. And it could be any day. And so if we are in a position where we have personally never trusted in Jesus, I think Christmas is the best time to do it. Now, some of you are like, listen, I am not going to be the guy who fulfills the cliche and becomes a Christian on Christmas Eve. I'm here because my husband, my wife, my mother, my father, my children told me to come here. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to like, be the guy. I'm not going to be another notch on his belt. And I promise you, there's no more notches on my belt. This is not working. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he really is the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies in his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, it doesn't matter if it is embarrassing for you to admit you're wrong. If it is true, you have until you're dead or until Christ comes back to be reconciled to God for the forgiveness of your sins. And so if you're, you're here tonight, and I want to just ask you a simple question. If you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? So if you're there, you're like 99% of the way there, by the way. But there are so many people, and I guarantee you there are men and women either watching online or in this room or students, who you believe in your head, but you have never personally made the decision to ask God to forgive you and to save you from your sin. One of my favorite aspects about salvation is that it is not for people who are good enough. It is for anybody who asks God to forgive them because they believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus.
And so if you're here today, maybe uh, if I could make a crass analogy, the Bible says that even the devil believes in his head and shudders, but he's never personally trusted. Maybe you're in the position where it's in your head, but you've never made the decision. I want to just offer you, I think the greatest opportunity is today to believe personally in Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have your entire life together because any Christian in this room who has all the answers and has it all together, they're filthy liars. Amen? Like Mary, like Joseph, like the shepherds, like the wise men, like the rich, like the poor, like the outcasts, like the sexually immoral, all of them are invited to ask Jesus for forgiveness and to receive it if they believe in him. And I want to talk to those of you who are Christians because uh, I, I am amazed. Christmas is so distracting, is it not? Like, how many of you still have presents left to wrap? Don't raise your hand, right? How many of you are like, oh, wait, I got to buy presents? My husband and my wife, my kids, ah, help. But the next week, we have this opportunity, most of us, I think, in the room, where we have this privilege to kind of slow down where there's less demands on us. And I think this is a great opportunity for you to hit a reset button in your life and to make sure that Christ is first in every part of your life. There is a great battle that is waging to keep you from Christ. There's a great battle that is waging to keep you from being with God's people. There's a great battle waging for believers and unbelievers to not, to not believe him and love him and trust him. But I want to encourage you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, would you just take this next week and transcend all of the gifts and all of the food and all of the weight that you're going to gain and all the stuff you have to do and all the family you have to see. And may you walk into 2022, crazy to even think that out loud, devoted and committed personally to Jesus and laying aside all of the obstacles that you or others have set up to keep you away from him. Uh, lastly, if... if tonight or even throughout this week or in the upcoming months, if you are still processing what, who Jesus is and whether or not you should actually believe in him, if you don't have someone to help you process some of your questions, we'd love to walk alongside of you in that process. If you decide that even tonight you're like, uh, listen, I don't even know why, but I have to trust in Christ tonight, we would love to come alongside of you and help you take a next step wherever you're at. Our desire is not to have another notch on the belt. Our desire is that all people everywhere would meet Jesus have forgiveness of sins and know him personally because he is your maker and because he loves you. Now, I want to take a, a minute before we um, sing some more songs. I want to just take a minute and pray for each one of you this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for revealing at the right time and at the right place your plan of victory that is through Jesus. And so we agree with the angels and we say, we say glory to God in the highest. Sin Satan, death, and hell have been overcome through the blood of Christ for anybody who believes in Jesus. And we give you all glory for this. So Father, over the next 36 hours, we have the privilege to celebrate you and your plan with gifts and lights and food and family and so many other symbols. But may you draw our hearts to Christ. May you draw us to remember the first incarnation and would you prepare us for the second coming, which will surely happen because you have never broken a promise. And for those caught in the spiritual war struggling to believe, would you show them the simple truth and the kindness of Jesus? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, when you came in, you um, should have received a candle. If you did not, there's a basket between the double doors, a column to my left and a column to my right. Uh, we're going to sing two songs together away in a manger, and I want to invite you, uh, as we have a candlelight service digitally, if you would turn them on, stand up, and let's worship Jesus together. <laughs> 